This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 12, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's structure is unconstitutional, according to a federal appeals court. That ruling may end up altering the relatively unaccountable powers the agency claims to possess. Mark Calabria is Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. We spoke today. So let's, you know, as everybody remembers, the CFPB uh, was created by Dodd-Frank. And what it did was consolidated financial protection in the other regulators, including the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, which uh, enforced the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. And so PHHM Mortgage Lender was charged under RESPA and challenged the final penalty. And one of the grounds for challenging was that the CFPB itself was unconstitutional in the structure. What you had the court rule on, which uh, went back to these precedents that were set in the New Deal. So, pre-New Deal, we didn't really have independent agencies. It was it was arguably pretty clear. You were part of the executive branch, you were part of the legislative branch, part of judicial. So, in the New Deal, you had all of these independent agencies develop, and you had throughout the 30s and 40s, the Supreme Court established a number of sort of rules where, okay, this is acceptable. This is not beyond the pale. And so, the court ruled that the CFPB was just so isolated from oversight uh, that it simply couldn't pass muster and would be subject to abuse because there'd be a lack of oversight both from the executive branch and from the legislative branch. Now, it's important to note here, uh, Richard Cordray is head of the CFPB. Who fires him? Well, before this decision, nobody. Um, well, he could be removed for sort of gross neglect. So, very, very high standard. I'm not saying he should be fired necessarily. Oh, I think he should be fired personally. Well, fair but, enough. But, um, but the, the point is that who has the authority to fire him? So, the court has decided that the president can remove him for cause. And so, part of the discussion is what is the standard for being fired? So, he could be fired before. And, he, and obviously, he could still even be impeached by Congress before. But these were extremely high standards that are very near impossible to meet. Uh, And in fact, the standard pre this court decision was essentially like gross neglect of your job. And and so, very high standard to meet. You couldn't simply replace him, for instance, because an administration changed. Uh, And recall that Dodd-Frank sets up a five-year term for this director. So, obviously, with the intention of that this director's term does not coincide with the president's term, it goes beyond it. So, by and large, so for instance, you know, the president could just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm really kind of tired of my Treasury Secretary. I'd like a new one. You're out of here. And he can do that. And, you know, he or she can do that. Um, and without any sort of um, pushback from that agency. That was not the case with CFPB. Uh, and the court really looked at that and said that that is insufficient control. And so, on one hand, and again, very strong language in the decision. Anybody who is a believer in constitutional government and liberty will read this decision and say, yeah. But at the end of the day, the resolution of it was that this person can now, Richard Cordbray or any future director, can now be removed by the president. Now, this president is unlikely to remove him. Um, One of the next two presidents is probably unlikely to remove him. So, again, very strong decision, did not change the agency uh, into a board, did not put the agency into the appropriations process. So, I think this is a very powerful symbolic decision. I think it's a very powerful precedent. Uh, Certainly doesn't go as far enough. The agency is not shut down. The 
court really bent over backwards in some sense of to say, this is egregious and unconstitutional, but we're going to try to change this as little as possible. So when you say this ruling does not make it part of the appropriations process, right. it's worth also noting here that CFPB does not derive its funding from the normal appropriations process. Yeah, it, it's off budget, which, uh, you know, again, in my, in my opinion, the Constitution is pretty clear that all funds uh, out of Treasury shall, shall be done by appropriations by law. And instead, uh, the Federal Reserve essentially transfers money. Uh, so we're essentially printing money, if you will, in effect, to fund this agency, which to me itself is just a gross violation of constitutional intent, if not actual language. So we've got this very bizarre funding scheme, which gets the CFPB outside of congressional oversight. And again, all of these mechanisms were meant to try to protect, you know, fundamentally protect CFPB, protect the bureaucrats from the representative, elected representatives of the people, which is a bit bizarre if you believe in democracy and accountability. So all that said, uh, that's still in place. Now, Congress, in my opinion, will ultimately pull this agency into the appropriations process. But today, it is not, and the decision does not do that. Uh, and I think that that's a real big flaw. And so, part of the uh, challenge from PHH was uh, due process. Absolutely. So one of the things that happened in the case, and I should say as background, I once spent some time at HUD running the RESPA office, so it's actually a case that's kind of close to my my heart, is RESPA was passed in the mid-70s, decades worth of precedent. And so essentially what happened is an administrative law judge made a decision, said that PHH was in violation. They all came to some sort of settlement agreement. Um, and then when it went to Richard Cordray, he said, well, no, I actually think all of this decades worth of law is wrong, and I'm just going to change my mind. And so what the court arrived at is that essentially it's ex post facto law. He decided that despite the fact that PHHH believed it was in compliance with the law, was in compliance with the law at the time of the actions, he simply said, well, I'm changing what the law means, and I'm finding you retroactively because of that, which of course is a pretty big violation of bedrock due process rights. So he just made up the law on the fly, no rulemaking, you know, no, uh, you know, no notice and comment. So this is really, and to me, uh, this is as egregious. And again, in some sense, it does relate back to the structural questions because the argument with the commission, the argument with more oversight is you would have less to sort of rogue behavior of an agency that says the law doesn't matter. So for instance, another qualification, uh, RESPA has a statute of limitations under offenses. It's three years. So CFPB cannot bring RESPA violations after three years of the occurrence of the violation. Many of the violations that PHH is accused of are beyond the window. And Corey simply said, oh, well, I mean, forget that. The statute of limitations law doesn't apply to me. It read an entire section of law just out. Um, and again, incredibly egregious behavior from a regulatory agency. And this is not to say whether, again, the case doesn't make any decision on whether PHH was right or wrong in terms of whether it violated law. It simply makes a decision of, did CFPB follow the law? Was the CFPB structure constitutional? And again, if you look at the elements of the case, it really is over the top egregious abuse of due process. And that'll be the biggest impact of this case. Mark Calabria is Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.